following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from LifePoint Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. Turn to 1 Peter 2 to start. I praise the Lord for the truth in those songs. Hope, hope that was encouraging to you to, uh, to sing together. And uh, wonderful, wonderful, rich truth. Um, I've always loved Holy, Holy, Holy is a wonderful hymn. I love some of the pictures that that song paints of that second verse, the uh, cherubim and seraphim around the throne, and the wonderful, wonderful truth there. So we're going to start in 1 Peter 2, and then uh, we're ultimately going to spend the majority of our, in fact, almost all of our time in 1 Corinthians 6. So you want to look at both places, but uh, here in a moment, I'm going to read uh, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Uh, to kind of set uh, where we're going. So, well, this is the, the first Sunday of January, and so as I've done, uh, this is the fourth year, uh, I've used this Sunday to introduce our theme for the year. And so, uh, back in 2018, our theme was uh, Reach Your World, so we had an evangelistic theme that year and uh, talked about uh, reaching uh, our world here and, and as well assisting in the spread of the gospel around the world. Uh, Then in 2019, our theme was Be a Disciple, Make a Disciple. Uh, So we talked about uh, our own growth in holiness, growth in discipleship, and then as well uh, being involved in disciple-making of others. And then, of course, in 2020, our theme was devoted to prayer. So uh, we spent last year talking about prayer and uh, talking about our need to be committed to prayer. And our theme for 2021 is going to be devoted to God, all right, devoted to God, and, uh, and I need to take a moment here at the beginning just to explain uh, exactly what I mean by that, all right? So, because I'm going to use the word devoted a little bit differently than we did last year, all right? So, last year we talked about being devoted to prayer. Uh, what I meant by that was uh, that we are to be committed to prayer, that we are to make it a priority in our lives. Uh, but, but this year, uh, with our theme devoted to God, uh, I'm using devoted in the sense of being set apart, as belonging to something. So, so think maybe, and maybe a helpful picture, uh, this is really where it comes from, is to think of the Old Testament sacrificial system and, and how Israel's priests and the temple and, and all the furniture in the temple and, and, and the sacrifices and so forth, all those things were, were devoted to God. They were set apart from common use to be used exclusively in the service of our Lord. So, so those things belong to God. And in a similar way, the New Testament teaches that, that Christians, those of us who are in Christ, that we have been set apart for God's use. We belong to him. So, so 1 Peter 2, uh, verses 9 and 10, I think do a, a phenomenal job of just capturing this idea. It says in 2 Peter 2, 9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So God tells us there that we are his special people. We belong to him, and he has set us apart For his glory and his purposes, we are not just like everyone else. We are something unique, something different. 
And I think that's an idea that, that's worth emphasizing as, as a theme for the year, uh, because you know, on the critical side, because it's not something that churches talk about a lot, frankly. Now, we live in a day in, in American Christianity where, where Christians are, are trying very hard to, to look as much like the world and, and feel as much like the world as possible. And, and so in some circles of Christianity, holiness has sort of become an embarrassing concept, something that maybe we don't deny, but something we certainly don't emphasize. And, and, and that fits with the natural bent of our heart, right? I mean, our hearts are all naturally bent towards worldliness and towards uh, fitting in with the culture, not towards standing out. So, so we need frequent encouragements to, towards holiness and towards living not for the things that we can see, but the things that we cannot see. And, and in particular, uh, with that, uh, we need to remember often that, that it is a wonderful privilege to be set apart for God's purposes. I mean, after all, as much as the world tugs on our hearts, as much as we want to fit in with the culture, would you rather belong to a corrupt, perverse world that is fading away or belong to eternal God and be his possession for all of eternity? And there is no comparison. So, so, so we should be eager to pursue holiness, draw near to our God, and glorify him in, in every aspect of our lives. And then another reason I think this, this theme is worth emphasizing is because Living a holy life in an evil, deceptive, and, and complicated culture is not an easy thing to do, is it? You know, and every time you turn on the radio, turn on the TV, pick something to look at on your phone, buy a new outfit, make a purchase, review your budget, at all those times, you are making choices about what is holy and what is not. What is going to further your sanctification and what is going to hinder your sanctification? And so, and so I'm excited this year to, to spend some time just kind of thinking about those things and, and giving some practical instruction on, on decision-making and how we can pursue holiness in this world. And as well, just listening to you, having discussions about those things, because it's very important and it's not always easy. So, so I think this is an important idea and, and one that's certainly worth emphasis and and I'm really looking forward to, to the discussions we're going to have, uh, the things that God's going to do in, in, in 2021, if, if the Lord tarries, uh, to, to grow us into holiness. So to kick off our theme, I'd like to consider a familiar and very foundational passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So, so we're done in 1 Peter. Uh, you can turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And, and for the sake of context, I'm going to begin reading in verse 12. Uh, though we're going to spend our time in verses 19 through 20. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. 
but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now I began in verse 12 because verses 12 through 18 provide some very important context uh, for Paul's instructions in verses 19 and 20. So specifically, some of the Corinthians were, were actually arguing within the church that, that it was permissible for, for them to visit uh, the temple prostitutes that were scattered in the various pagan temples throughout Corinth. And, and they saw nothing wrong with, with engaging in immorality uh, with these temple prostitutes. And, um, and that seems absurd and, and crazy to us, uh, but it was rooted in the fact that they believed that there is no spiritual significance to your body. You know, the real you is your heart. Your body is just kind of, you know, this shell that you live inside of, so you can do with it whatever you want. And, and Paul replies in this passage that that's nonsense. That's absolutely not the case. And he presents several very pointed and very significant arguments to prove that immorality is not just impermissible but that in fact it is a unique type of sin that does a unique type of damage to our person. And then he ends in verses 19 and 20 with two climactic arguments that are foundational, uh, not just to sexual purity, but to how we should view our entire Christian experience. So the first argument he makes is that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. The second argument he makes is that Christ purchased us with his blood on the cross. And then as a result of those foundational truths, he concludes by, by commanding us, by urging us to glorify the Lord in all of life. So, so we must live out the fact that we have been devoted to God. So, so we're going to take some time uh, to walk through uh, these fo two foundational truths and, and, the, and the application at the end. So first of all, the first foundational truth is that your body is a temple of the Spirit. Your body is a temple of the Spirit. So verse 19 again says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God? Now, now again, uh, to, to appreciate that statement or that question, you have to read it in context. So the Corinthians had been raised in a context uh, of Greek dualism, right? And that's behind their, their crazy thinking about immorality. So, so Greek dualism taught that there is a hard line between the material and immaterial part of the universe. And, and so they taught that, that the spirit and, and the immaterial world is good and eternal and valuable. And they taught that the material world and, and everything, uh, all that's matter, all that we can see and touch and taste, it, it's all inconsequential and, and ultimately it is wicked. And therefore, because the material world is inconsequential and ultimately wicked, uh, they believe that you can do with your body whatever you please, whatever you desire, and it doesn't really matter. So, if you want to visit a temple prostitute, go for it. You know, chapter 5, if you want to sleep with your stepmother, go for it. 
Chapters 8 through 10, if you want to go to a, a pagan feast and, and participate in those evil, evil practices, it's just your body. Go and do it. And, and if you want to abuse your body, on the other hand, you can do that too. Now, now, of course, we today, we don't live in that context. That sounds very strange and very different. But, but our culture increasingly believes that freedom of sexual expression is, is a foundational human right. And in fact, our culture increasingly believes that, that it is a good thing, that it is really the height of, 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 of virtue to express uh, whatever sexual desires are, are inside of you. And, and sadly, as our culture becomes more and more sexualized, it, it certainly affects the church as well. I, don't, I, I trust that we don't have this issue here, uh, but there are big sections of American Christianity where, where pastors and theologians have, have had to carefully articulate to people why immorality is not okay. And it's crazy that we're at a point in our, in our culture and in, in the American church where it's not assumed that that's a problem. But that is, in fact, where we are. Now, now that might seem distant from us today, but, but maybe something that hits closer to home for this crowd is that sometimes we do, though, draw a very hard line between a godly heart and what I do with my body. So, so we can think, you know, that, that, well, if my heart is in the right place, that's all that really matters. So many Christians would assume, assume that there is no spiritual significance to the drugs and the chemicals and the foods that we put into our body. Or, or it doesn't really matter if I care for my body and live a healthy lifestyle. And, and many Christians would assume that, that there is little, if any, spiritual significance to how I dress. I can, I can wear what I want to wear, uh, use whatever styles I, wanna, uh, I want to choose, and, and it doesn't really matter because it's just clothes. And, and how, I, how I dress, how I approach, how I present myself is, is all just a matter of personal preference. And all that really matters, again, is that I have a sincere heart. And folks, that is not very different from this Greek dualism. But Paul says all of this matters. And why does it matter? Because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. Now, now back in chapter 3, uh, he said that the church is the temple of the Spirit. Uh, but here he says that, the, that, that we as individual Christians... If you are in Christ, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's an incredible thought to consider. And it's incredible, first of all, in the sense that it's an incredible gift of God's grace. You know, Paul drives that home by saying that you have this Holy Spirit from God. And the point of that prepositional phrase is to say that I don't have the Holy Spirit because of something good in me. You know, if the Holy Spirit were, were up in heaven, he's like, boy, I, I, need, I need a place to live. I need a place to live. He's not going to look down and say, I want to live inside Kit Johnson. And that's absurd. I mean, there's nothing in us that, that would attract the Holy Spirit to live inside us. But following Jesus' ascension to heaven, God has graciously given us the indwelling Spirit. He lives inside us. And he, and he lives there to assure us of our relationship with God. He strengthens our faith. He guides us into truth. He convicts us of sin. And he assures us that someday we're going to be with the Lord in glory. And, and folks, it is a phenomenal gift. A gift that comes from God. 
So, so we ought to rejoice today in this idea that, that we are temples of the Holy Spirit, uh, but the primary emphasis here in verse 19 is that, that it also ought to be a very sobering image. When you think about the Old Testament significance of the temple, the temple was a weighty concept for God's people. And it's interesting here uh, that there are, are two Greek words that the New Testament uses for temple. Uh, the one word is, is hit-eron, and that word refers to the entire temple complex, to, to, to the, the, as well, not just the, uh, the building itself, but the courts and the various rooms and so forth that were associated with the temple complex. But here Paul uses the more specific word, naos. And this word refers to the inner sanctuary of the temple, where God dwelt in the Holy of Holies. And of course, that was, in, in, in Old Testament times, the most sacred location in the entire world because God was there. And, and Israel's priests and their whole nation, they approached the, the, the inner sanctuary with tremendous care and sobriety. When you look at the Old Testament, there was nothing casual about the way Israel worshipped God, right? It, it was a very serious occasion. And, and, and several times in the Old Testament, uh, God judged Israel when they did not take his temple seriously. You think, for example, of Leviticus 10, and Nadab and Abihu were, were struck dead for bringing strange fire into the tabernacle. Towards the end of the Old Testament period, King Manasseh uh, set up a, a, an Asherah pole in the temple complex. And, and 2 Kings says that that was one of the last straws that led God to ultimately destroy the city of Jerusalem and the temple itself. So, so the idea that my body is a temple of this Holy Spirit is something ought, that ought to be very sobering. Now, again, I want to emphasize that it also should be a source of great joy because, because I mean, after all, the fact that, that God is with us is, is a tremendous symbol of God's grace. You know, you look at the Old Testament and, and how often do we see Moses and David and Solomon and the various other uh, writers of Scripture rejoice in, in the amazing blessing that they could go to the temple, that they could be near to God, that, that God had chosen to dwell in the midst of them. I mean, they saw that that's an incredible gift of God's grace. So, so if you're in Christ today, if you are a Christian, you should give thanks for the gift of the Spirit. And in Israel's day, uh, they had to travel to the temple to be near to God. But God is with you wherever you go. He is always living inside you. And he carries with him a full supply of grace for every need that you have. And that is a wonderful, wonderful gift of God. But again, the clear emphasis of this verse is that being temples of the Holy Spirit brings with it a sobering responsibility. So specifically, it means that, that my body, and, and by extension, my entire person, is a sacred possession of the Lord. My body and my spirit are devoted to God. It's been set apart for God's special purpose. And, and so that means that, that I'm not just free to, to go wherever I want to go, uh, do whatever I want to do, consume whatever entertainment pleases me, and think that none of it really matters. No, it does matter. So, so I must present my body and my spirit in a way that clearly tells the world, this is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That needs to be obvious in all that I do. No, it means that, that I need to guard my eyes. 
Guard my ears, my hands, my feet, my mouth from consuming things that are not worthy of, of a temple of the Holy Spirit. It means that I need to guard what comes out of my mouth and make sure that it reflects the fact that, that the Spirit lives inside me. So, so we need to understand today that, that as much as our natural bent is, is to fit in and, and to just be like everyone else, if you're a Christian, you're not just a regular guy. You're not. You're, you're not someone that can just mostly fit in with an ungodly world and, and, and just be like everyone else. No, no, I have been devoted to God. I have been set apart for his purpose, and, and I need to reflect that wonderful gift in every aspect of my life. So, so the first argument that, that Paul gives as to why we need to live holy lives is because we are temples of the Holy Spirit. Now, now maybe, though, you'd respond, well, what if I don't want to live like a temple? I mean, what if I just want to do my thing, live the way I want, go where I want to go? I mean, what if I want to say, well, well God can have this part of my life, but, but I'm going to keep this. God has no right to these portions of who I am. Well, well, Paul gives you a blunt answer in his second foundational truth, which is that God bought all of you at the cross. God bought all of you at the cross. Now, I have to mention at this point that there, that there is a little bit of controversy about, among translators about how to understand the sentence structure in verses 19 and 20. So, um, uh, so and it, it relates around where to put that, that last phrase in verse 19, and you are not your own. So if you're looking at the New King James, the New King James extends the first point or, or the question in verse 19 through the end of, of the verse, right? So, so the New King James says, and do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. So, so it makes a break at the end of verse 19. Uh, but I believe uh, some of the other translations probably are more accurate uh, when, when they make that, that last statement of verse 19, or when they connect that last statement of verse 19 with the beginning of verse 20. So, so the second assertion, so, so the question mark goes after from God, and then you could start a new sentence there at the end of verse 19 and say, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. And I think that makes better sense because uh, it means then that you were bought at a price explains why you are not your own. All right? So, so why am I not my own? Because you were bought with a price. So again, with that in mind, it's important to, to begin by just viewing this statement in context, all right? So, so again, Paul is arguing for why immorality is not okay for a Christian. And, and notice what he says at the end of verse 13 into verse 14. He says, now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So, so to put it simply, we can't be sexually immoral because, because we're not free to do what we please with our bodies. Our bodies belong to the Lord, and your body was not made for immorality. Your body was made for the Lord. That's what he says. And in verse 19, Paul returns this theme, and he bluntly states, you are not your own. You don't own you. 
Now, that's a very appropriate statement for our day, because how many times have we heard the, uh, the pro-abortion, the pro-choice crowd say, what's their line? My body, my choice. Hear that over and over. My body, my choice. So, so they're going to say, you can't tell me what to do with my body because it's my body, so I get to make my choices about what I do with my body. And, of course, advocates of, uh, of sexual freedom and so forth are going to say very similar things. That whatever I want to do with my body is my right to do with my body. I can use it however I please. But Paul says that it's not your body and it's not your choice. The human body is made for the Lord. So so we weren't created with the goal or, or even the right to use our bodies to pursue whatever vain desires we prefer. No, we were made to glorify the Lord and to find our joy in submission to him. And verses 19 and 20 say that this is especially true of the Christian. So if you're ever tempted to say, well, no one is going to tell me what to do. I'm going to make my own choices. I'm going to carve my own path. Or or if you're ever tempted to say, God has no right to dominate this portion of my life. This part is mine. Well, Paul would firmly compassionately, but firmly say to you, you are not your own. You are not your own. You do not own you. And that's a simple and direct truth that that I think we we can't take for granted. We need to be reminded of it often because it's easy to forget. And don't we all just very easily and naturally begin to believe this is my body and this is my life and I'm going to do with it what I want? And it's also an important thought because it's so clarifying for my decision-making. You know, so, so we all have those times where we have that conflict in our heart. The spirit's pulling this way. The flesh is pulling this way. And, 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 and when we have that conflict, we can simply remember, I am not my own. I am not my own. And why is it that I'm not my own? Well, it's because... As verse 20 says, you were bought at a price. Now, now with that statement, Paul draws on, on the imagery of, of the buying and selling of slaves. And so, uh, if you think uh, in, in, times of, in, in the Corinthian times, uh, that, that they're in the city of Corinth, if you wanted to buy a slave, you would go down to the agora, or the marketplace, uh, as we would call it. And, and you could uh, go down to the slave market, and, and you could pay a sum of money, and a, and a slave could be transferred in ownership from one master to another. And so you could buy that slave, and he became yours. Now, now with any illustration, we always need to be careful uh, that we not read more into it than we should, right? So, so in this case, it's important to remember that, that slavery to God is, is not the same as slavery in colonial America, right? So, so God is a good slave master. He's very different from, from any human slave master. I think it's also important uh, to clarify here that, that when Jesus died on the cross, God did not pay the price of redemption to Satan. You know, so it's not like, you know, Satan owned us and God and Jesus died on the cross to pay Satan for our redemption because because the the cost that needed to be paid for our redemption was was a cost to God's justice, right? Not to Satan. So I think that's an important clarification to make. Uh, but, but, But Jesus still paid a great price God paid the steepest price possible to make us his own. 
As we saw two weeks ago uh, on, on the 20th of December, 1 John 4.10 says, God sent his only begotten son to be the propitiation for our sins. And Jesus suffered our punishment on the cross as God's just wrath against sin was poured out on him. God paid the highest price possible. And and we can't be reminded too often that, that Jesus paid the ultimate price for our salvation. He gave everything that we might live through him. So so we always want to emphasize that that there is no way, no way uh, that that you can can ever pay the price for your own redemption. You you can't purchase it yourself. And and no one is going to accidentally stumble into God's presence someday. No, we need a Savior because we are all broken sinners. And, And Christ is that Savior. He paid the price for our salvation when he died on the cross. And the Bible states that that redemption can be applied to you if you will simply repent of your sins and put your faith in Christ. And Acts 16.31 promises, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So so if you've never done that before, you're you're just kind of hoping that you make it to heaven someday, you make it to glory, you hope that you stumble in somehow, then then I would urge you to recognize that, that, that the cost is too high. It took the blood of the Son of God. But if you repent of your sins and and trust in Jesus, you can leave today knowing that your sins are forgiven. And and so if there's anyone here who has not done that, I hope that today you will come to Christ and be saved. And, And if you are saved, our text says that Jesus did not just purchase your life for eternity. He purchased your life today. And you belong to him. You, you, you are not your own because Jesus paid the ultimate price. You have been devoted to God through the death of the Son of God. I, I love the, the song, Amazing Love. What's it say? It says, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life or my soul, my life, my all. So yes, does God ask a lot of us at times? Absolutely. Does God ever call us to to make hard decisions and and difficult sacrifices? Yes. But but when I see what Christ did for me, that he is worthy of all of it, and and when I appreciate his love so amazing and so divine, well, I will gladly follow wherever he leads. I, I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15. He says, the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And notice he says, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So may the Lord cause all of us to to respond to the cross with, with that same compelling drive that we see the love of Christ and it compels us to follow him. So, so the first foundational truth is that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And then the second foundational truth is that God bought all of you at the cross. And as a result, the passage ends with the foundational command, which is glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. Now, now I have to begin 
here by mentioning that there is a variant in verse 20. And we talked a lot about those on Sunday nights uh, last fall. Um, so, so if you're looking at a newer translation, uh, your verse 20 is going to end with your body. So, so in a lot of the newer translations, it's going to say, for you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body, period. All right, that's where the verse is going to end. Uh, but the New King James adds, and in your spirit, which are God's. So the first, uh, first option uh, keeps all the emphasis on the body, which, which has been the focus uh, throughout verses 12 through 20. Of course, the second is, is broadening the application to as well include your spirit, the, the immaterial part of man. And, and, and there's good arguments for both. We're not going to uh, wade into those waters this morning. Um, but, but in light of the fact uh, that your body um, is the temple of the spirit, and, and that God, and, and, and rather instead, we just want to focus on the main idea, which is that because of the fact that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and because of the fact that Christ purchased you on the cross, Paul says, therefore, and by the way, he uses a particularly strong conjunction there that, that's translated as therefore in our Bible. So he's making an emphatic point. In light of these things, therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So again, in context, Paul's primary point is that Christians must glorify God in how they uh, conduct themselves sexually. And he's saying that there's no room for a Christian to behave promiscuously, to, to pursue any sort of a sexual outlet outside the confines of marriage. It's not my body, my choice. No, I need to glorify God in my body because he purchased it on the cross. But I think it's also fair to say that there's a principle here that, of course, applies to every arena of life. And so he is saying here, that my redemption means that I must glorify God everywhere and in all things. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So glorifying God is my most basic and foundational responsibility. I mean, I'm here fundamentally to glorify God. And when you look at the scriptures, you, you can think of all the commands, all the duties, every truth that, that is laid out for us in the scriptures, and they all turn on the access of, access of glorifying God. That is the center of everything. And so, and so all that stuff is just simply give, putting meat on the bones, showing us how it is that we glorify him. Now, I realize that, that when we talk about all this stuff, these verses put us in strong opposition to our culture. Strong opposition to our culture. Now, I've, uh, for the last uh, few weeks, uh, been slowly working my way through a, a pretty complicated uh, but fascinating book uh, that came out this fall on the foundations of the sexual revolution. And, and it's been very fascinating uh, to understand more fully how, how sexual freedom, sexual expression, free sexual expression it is becoming a foundational value of our culture. So our culture is not just going to say that, that you can do what you want to do. It's, it's going to say that, that one of the highest moral, one of the highest virtues you can, you can um, demonstrate is to let whatever desire is down deep in your heart come out in, in free expression. And our society increasingly believes that, that you only belong to you 
and you are free. And in fact, it is a high act of courage and honor to freely express whatever is in your heart. Let it come out. And those assumptions are everywhere in our entertainment. Um, they're, they're, they're everywhere, even in our birthday cards, our, our clothes, all of it is built on this extreme focus on sexuality. And not only that, but, but just in, in general, that, that I am my own master. So it's essential that we frequently come back to this basic truth in this text. I belong to God. And my highest priority is to show the world the beauty of my Savior. I'm not here to, to express myself. I'm here to express Him. And and contrary to the claims of our world, that's not some form of hypocrisy, that you're hiding the real you, or or that God is oppressing you in some nasty, mean way. No. God loves us. And he has prepared an eternal home for us in his presence. And, And think about this, that the climax of human joy, the greatest joy we will ever experience, will be when we see our Savior. And when we perfectly reflect his glory, your greatest joy will be in perfectly glorifying the Savior, not in perfectly expressing what's down deep in your wicked, corrupt heart. So so God's glory is not contrary to my joy today. No, God has designed the gospel in such a way that, that the highest human joy will be in perfectly glorifying our Lord. So, so God's purpose is, is, is wonderful, rich, wise, beautiful, and full of compassion. And if our hope for perfect joy in, in, in heaven is, is in the fact that we will, we will be perfectly glorified and like the Savior, then we ought to find our joy in the same place today. I mean, folks, the world's pursuit of happiness in, in sexual expression and, and, and every other fleshly appetite that the world chases, it's a fool's errand. It's a fool's errand. It will never satisfy. Because you were not made for those things. You were made for the Lord, as verse 13 says. And I know I've used it several times, but but I love uh, the quote by Augustine. Augustine said once, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. That's so true. We were made for the Lord. And so the only place we will ever find rest, find joy, is in the Lord. So, so don't buy the world's lies about happiness. And don't listen to those sectors of Christianity that, that want to be ashamed of, of, of genuine holiness and obedience. You know, and act as if those things don't really matter. No, they do matter. And they are for our joy. So so let's stand amazed that Christ purchased us with his blood and that he has set wicked sinners like us apart as his special people. We are devoted to God. We are temples of the Spirit. And God has bestowed on us the greatest honor that he has given to any part of his creation, that we get to glorify the Lord. And then by God's grace, let's commit to living out this privileged position. Glorify God in your body. 
as, as 1 Peter 1, uh, verses 14 through, 6, 14 through 16 say, uh, that David read earlier, don't conform yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And then finally today, let's commit to doing the hard work of, of not just saying, yeah, holiness is good, but let's commit to do the hard work of actually discerning what holiness means for me and what it means for my family living in Apple Valley, California in 2021. So I'm excited about what the Lord's going to do this year. I think this is an emphasis that we all need and we all need often. And so I hope that you'll pray that the Lord will use it to search our hearts, to, to transform the way we think about the world and think about the Lord, think about godliness. And the Lord will use it to make us better temples of the Spirit who glorify Him. And then as well, let's anticipate the joy that's going to come as, as we serve our Lord today and the joy that we're going to have for all of eternity when we are in His presence, glorifying Him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much today for the truth in these verses. And to thank you so much for Jesus who has purchased our redemption and given us life. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone here or anyone watching at home that does not know Jesus as Savior, that Lord, today they would repent of their sins and truly be born again. And Lord, I pray as well for, uh, for all of us this week that we would glorify you, that we would find our rest in the Savior, and that we would please you in, in every aspect of life. In Jesus' name, amen.